Maybe the more important thing that I try to spend some time doing is to um, align designers, but also like everyone else on on our teams around what we are actually doing and what we need to do. So things like aligning on outcomes and making them clear um, and um, yeah, just making sure that people feel that they um, know what they're doing and why, in a sense. Welcome to the Mama Design Minds podcast, hosted by me, Russell Morgan. And me, Dennis Overhagen. We are an initiative from the Mama Design Network with a mission to put the Mama design industry on the global map. In this episode, we talk to Johannes Arnqvist, Design Director, IBM IX, where we discuss design philosophy at IBM IX, recruiting design talent, and the role of prototyping in the design process. We hope you enjoy the episode. So, Johannes, welcome on the show. Thank you. Could you please introduce yourself in the way that you would like to be introduced? Yeah, um, <clears throat> that was a, how would, you, how would one like to be introduced? But I guess uh, for this context, I'm a design person in Malmö. Uh, I work as a design director at IBM IX, also here in Malmö. Um, and together with the team that's across Sweden, but also uh, Northern Europe. And IBM IX is the, is the consulting part of IBM. Uh, so that's sort of my job role, at least. Uh, so I guess that would be the <laughs> introduction. Mm-hmm. And how did you end up there? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Um, uh, the short version is I had a good friend from way back that has been with IBM for a long time. Uh, so he wanted me to come on board and... <laughs> Finally, I did. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing that was enticing about IBM is just the scale of everything. So I was very curious about the, the bigness. Like, I've been in a consultancy before uh, for a bunch of years at HiQ. And um, that was a lot of fun. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I mean, moving to IBM, I knew immediately that, like, all the projects will be bigger, the clients will be bigger, everything will be more global um so that was really exciting to me can you elaborate a little bit more on that like what does it mean to design at scale and design for bigger projects uh yeah for sure i mean that could probably fill up uh, um, the whole uh, podcast but um i mean one big difference from when i've been in smaller companies and working with smaller companies uh, the focus has been more on, like, for one thing, like short-term gains, and um, it's been smaller projects and, and just, um, uh, let's say, quicker, quicker projects, right? Um, and this whole thing uh, with around working with design for scale, it typically takes more time, and it's also more of a, uh, like, already from the get-go, it's more of a transfer of knowledge uh, knowledges and or knowledge and transfer of approach and getting like people on board and not just individuals but actually organizations Mm -hmm. 
So it's a it's a bigger focus already from the beginning, and and that's a, a huge part of what IBM is doing and can be doing. While smaller companies typically maybe can't. I mean, they're more of a they more do like the specific projects. So hmm. uh, yeah. So do you say you're more embedded within an organization as a client than doing smaller projects? Yes. So um, I would say typically it's like uh, uh, with a smaller consultancy, we wanted to talk about like partnership and actually working together with the client, etc. cetera. Um, but with IBM, it's that's more of the uh, sort of basic start point for everything. It's more of a partnership and actually teaming up because IBM can contribute with so much, you know, so, so much stuff and also globally on a, on a totally different scale than, of course, than, uh, you know, a smaller local uh, consultancy can. So I think it's like part of the whole, it's part of the pitch, like it's part of the, uh, the value proposition that we have at IBM um, in a different way than I had been used to before. So, um, so yeah, that's um, that's part of it. And then it's like the whole, you know, obviously it's if you, you know, think about things like, you know, innovation or whatever word you put on it, like doing new things, that is also very different in a small startup or a small slice of a company um, as opposed to doing it on a broad scale, you know, globally and across divisions and things like that. So it's... Um, it's a bit of a different challenge, and I was really, uh, I was pretty excited to uh, throw myself in there and learn more about that. Mm. Do you do you see any drawbacks of being part of such a large organization, especially when it comes <coughs> to something like innovation, that sometimes tends to move a little bit slower the bigger the organization gets? Yeah, uh, uh, of course. I mean, <coughs> I think it's inevitable uh, that you you know you get a bit slower. Uh, with with sort of scale and with scale in general and there comes um, like a, a need for um, structure and you know formalization of what you do and um, all that stuff and that in its own right can be sort of you know confining in a sense when it comes to innovation where you have to like move fast and 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 um, try things out um, uh, yeah, and be agile and nimble. So obviously there are some natural sort of, uh, I wouldn't say, you know, obstacles or anything, but it's it's uh, those are challenges for sure. Mm. It's always, you know, when you can just like have everyone in a room always, you tend to move quicker than <laughs> when you need to like, uh, yeah, uh, span over the globe and, and connect people and, Get get everyone on the same page, etc. So, so yeah. And do you find that differs, you know, between different clients? I mean, you must come with the IBM way of doing things, and you try to push that into your clients, presumably. Yeah. Um, like so, the question was if it's different with different clients. Yeah. Yeah. And they react sure. to that. Yes, for sure. Um, it, it definitely is. Um, I mean, it comes down to culture and, and uh, you know, um, the different ways that organizations work. I think 
some of the things or some of the challenge, challenges are <clears throat> pretty much the same when you when you look at big companies but but then you have you know all, all kinds of different clients have their own flavor and and uh, you know modus operandi and uh, mm. history you know culture all those things so so yeah it's different and I think that taps into as well one of my the things that I'm thinking quite a lot about now is that <clears throat> in my experience from before having worked with multiple different clients and different sort of contexts the the thing that i believe that i've learned is that you need to be sort of you know ad- adaptive and, and agile in in even in the approach and you know choice of methodology or whatever and even in like in, in pretty much everything and then when as you say we come as ibm with our way of working and you know pull out the whole uh, toolbox with with everything that we do and what we have um there is you know there it might be not always as easy to to be you know flexible with those things so that's something that we're thinking about constantly because i think you need to be in order to make it work at least to make it work really well so um, there's always like a balancing act going on there in my mind yeah so you have some flexible tools that they need to change depending on the flavor of the project and what's been required, perhaps. Exactly, exactly. And and I think it comes down to so many things, like the, the actual individuals that you work with, you know, stakeholders, and when we talk about things like design maturity or, you know, organizational readiness for change or whatever, it can be very, very different. And um, to be too rigid then and with, you know, uh, step one, we do this, you know, and then we take out form to see and we do this you know and it's it's um yeah i don't think it's the best way to to do things basically mm-hmm. is there in design one thing that's obvious to you but not necessarily to everyone else um y- well maybe i think for designers this is probably nothing new and it's probably you know part of um how everyone thinks thinks about it, but the thing that I've been coming back to, like throughout the years I've been working with design and UX and things, is um, basically the reasons behind design and also, you know, the effect coming from good design. So, uh, you know, as part of our sales material, we talk about intent and effect, and that to me is just so. Um, uh, so so important to uh, everything that that sort of concerns design within tech or you know if you look at service design or or, or whatever it's um it comes down to the intent you put into something and being able to measure the effect of something and making sure that you get the right outcome uh, of the work that you you do so while i think the general public when or you know people in general i, I should say um when they hear design, they probably tend to think more about aesthetics and and you know color and and things like that. Um, but to me, I, I don't I don't come from an artistic background. I I you know you, maybe you could argue that I have a, a creative background with, within music and stuff, but I've never been like artistic in when it comes to um, expressing myself visually. So to me, the whole thing that got me hooked on on you know interaction design and and, uh, 
and those things way back when was this thing like that you actually put in an intention into something um, and you create something and that something should lead to a desired effect in the end uh, with people i mean that to me is, is the whole thing and the more i've uh, worked with it the more practice i've uh, had in it the more i can sort of um take that same thinking uh, to any old design you know architecture and you know whatever product design you could think of it's just like it's not a good design if it doesn't work well i mean that's just mm. and and if it's something that that you create that doesn't work well then i would argue it's not design so mm. that's just so super central to how i view things and it's also very central to how i talk to clients and coworkers around what we actually do and and also try to align people around what we do. Um, so maybe it should be that. Then. Could you share with us a story that illustrates the effect of good design? Hmm. That was a good question. And yeah, and this is interesting, I, I think, as well, because I'm, I tend to get caught up in thinking around these things <laughs> because you can have like, uh, and we talked about it a little bit before as well, um, how you actually can connect like this the, the little things and the small things that we work with as for instance ux designers or visual designers are working on a ui how you can connect it with what actually uh, what that does for people in the end and that's really hard so i mean yeah a good example that i've been through uh, i would say it's hard to single out one one thing uh, you know on the spot now because um, we i mean many of us i think we work in the software industry and we we sort of hunt for improving kpis or uh, you know getting better conversions and stuff and and that is an, an example of it for sure i mean that is that is the the very vivid uh, evidence of an effect of uh, a design or a design change mm. so i think like in the yeah but i mean if you if you want to go to like the the broader bigger broader strokes you I, th i guess you'd have to go to like some of the classics like you know how the iphone sort of changed the stuff or you know streaming services etc cetera, etc cetera, that you actually get massive global changes in behavior with people that comes from providing something new in a new way um, and those are maybe the most, uh, how do you say, most clear examples of it. Mm. Maybe. Mm. Um, how about you guys? Do you have any good examples? What do you think about it like this at all? Good examples of uh, yeah, on the effect from from good design. For me, it's, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think for <laughs> it me, really it's, is, yeah. it's maybe a little bit easier because I work in, in the medical product industry. Yeah. And if we deliver good design, you will see it. Like people mm -hmm. will actually get a great smile on their face and in our case, be able to speak and, and breathe and live the life the way they want to. <coughs> yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, if we hit the mark, it's, uh, it's obvious, mm -hmm. uh, especially if we get the chance to actually meet the people who we design for. Mm. Uh, that's where you really want to measure the effect of, of your delivery. Uh, not just in you know KPIs and measurements and, and statistics, mm. but actually seeing the people that you designed for, how are they receiving <coughs> your product, and 
did it does it evoke the emotion does it get the work done uh, that they're after yeah yeah um, i think sometimes you know we focus a lot on kpis and data and metrics and all that stuff mm. that's really good and mm. uh, definitely necessary but it's uh i think really important and also very at least for me energizing and, and giving to also look at the more qualitative aspects and meeting the people that you designed for not just in the beginning to do the research and know who you're designing for mm-hmm. but at the end when you actually can hand over the result yeah and then see if they actually like it not in a test environment you're not in a lab mm. but just actually like mm. end product sit down yeah. people through context sure i think for us it's the other end of the scale because we're you know we're designing security systems fire alarms you know mm. the stuff that you never want to happen mm. to your family mm. and you know those situations are scary it's like traumatic when you need it that really has to work very well mm. we do hear stories back you know like um from fire service in sweden you know when mm. our smoke detector goes off they they get to the fire so quickly that there's there's hardly anything to fix mm. you know, and, and the feedback we hear from them is like that saved the house and saved the people inside because you triggered the alarm and you sent us there mm. faster than anyone else could and you know that feedback yeah, it's meaningful you know the the products they work but the the experience inside the home is something we we invest a lot of time in trying to figure out what would happen if it was smoky inside the home mm. and you couldn't see and you've got to get your kids outside and you don't know where the exit is like how how do you guide somebody in in 2 minutes right in a life threatening situation yeah. it's and you can't emulate that you can't put a fire in someone's house and go, okay, try to escape. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really tough, right? That would be harsh. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit harsh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, and I think, um, I mean, this is interesting as well, because if, when, when we do talk about the effect of design or good design, or you could say a, a design has, uh, you know, delivered or done what it was supposed to do, um, especially for us with our clients, we typically end up talking about, um, you know, uh, business outcomes and, you know, whatever we can uh, do pretty much, um, you know, what we can show that shows return of investment, basically, on, on design. But as part of that, we then look, as user experience designers, we look at the users and we can do stuff for the users. And it's not as, you know, quantifiable always and it's not as measurable, et cetera. But typically it's the more satisfying end of things. Like, I guess for you guys, having people that have your, you guys' alarms, um, a win for you guys if, is when they feel safe about, you know, about their home or yeah. their life. It's peace of mind. Peace of mind, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not like um, maybe something that you can measure in that sense and go, you know, wave, wave your flag and say that we will, we achieve this. Yeah. But it's at the same time, it's... Um, a huge part of the user experience of having that alarm, for instance. So, um, yeah, it's just um, interesting because it's different aspects, but still they do say something about then intent and effect of design, right? Mm-hmm. How if, how good it is, basically. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, I guess um, one of the... One of the ongoing things that I we tend to think a lot about in, in my team and, and that I think a lot about is like how we can become better at uh, tying these things together and making sure that they're visible and 
you know, go all the way from you know, top, long, long sort of stretching strategic goals of a global corporation all the way down to, you know, people within that company working, you know, their day-to-day and, you know, making their lives a little bit better and, and tying it together in a sense. Uh, and that's like, it's all design. It pretty much comes down to that yeah. at the end of the day. But you're not just a designer, you're a design director. Yeah. So tell us, what does that mean? Yeah, um, and that's a good question. Uh, but I think, to me at least, it means it, it's um, related to a lot of what we just talked about. Like, to, um, I mean, some part of it is very, like, operational and, and thinking about how we actually work, how we can be efficient and how we deliver and make sure that, you know, design as a practice or as a function, you know, works well together with other you know, sides of the practice and, and all the stakeholders and all that stuff. But I think maybe the more important thing that I try to spend some time doing is to um, align designers, but also like everyone else on, on our teams around what we are actually doing and what we need to do. So things like aligning on outcomes and making them clear um, and... Um, Yeah, just making sure that people feel that they um, know what they're doing and why, in a sense. Because um, I think, I feel that, especially in a, when we have like these, like multiple teams and big organizations, um, uh, too much tends to fall on the individual designer to sort of pull uh, if, if we don't work on that. Mm. So I guess for me, a big part of the director sort of piece of my title <clears throat> title sorry um is to try and, and work with that situation and make sure that as many people as possible share and are also excited about like a, a vision where we're going why and and also to build a common understanding uh around why that is or why we feel that at, at this particular time this is where we need to go and this is what we need to do. Mm. Uh, so, um, yeah. And then, you know, it, there's also the, um, uh, you know, recruiting, getting people in and, you know, mm. just making sure that everyone is, is um, uh, you know, uh, having a, a fairly good time at work and all those things um, as well. Mm. Can we try to make it more concrete. So we talk about aligning outcomes. Mm. How do you do that? Create alignment, create a shared sense of clarity within the teams. Yeah. Any exercises or processes that you use? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we have, um, how should I put this so it doesn't get too long winding or boring, but uh, uh, like, so IBM, at IBM, we have this thing <coughs> called the garage, which is a sort of a delivery model. And it's also like a toolbox of, of uh, uh, methodology. It's, it's something that sort of ties together design thinking with agile and, and you know, um, lean basically. Um, so within that toolbox, we have tr tried to sort of, sort of um, you know, be a little bit more structured around how you do exactly what you asked like how we tie together and 
make visible outcomes and, and you know, how we define value together with the client and for, you know, the users that we're um, working for, et cetera, et cetera. And within that space, we have some, some sort of set tools that we can use. So one thing is we have uh, something called uh, the golden thread, which is basically, uh, simply put, it's like a conceptual journey. Oops, I touched my mic. <laughs> uh, a conceptual, uh, sort of like a user journey, right? Um, but it's also quite, you could say, with, with three, two additional layers, which is the business value and, and outcomes aspect of it, and also the sort of tech aspect of it as well. So IBM is a, has a long, um, obviously, heritage. Of, you know, it's a tech company. We provide tech platforms and technology in general. Um, so that's something that we use. Um, um, and then we, we use that and work with it, work on that together with the client. And it's basically the design team or the designers that are responsible to, of piecing that together and making sure that it works, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but going back to what I said before, it's not always um, as easy. And if you work with really big clients, they come and say, but you know, no, that's not how we do things. You know, we have this thing and we work with OKRs and we do this thing and the little, little. So then you have to adapt. So we're working now with a big client um, uh, where we sort of did just that. So um, we sort of did, you know, to tie together their own flavor of how they define vision and goals together with like financial KPIs and goals uh, and sort of, you know, screw in our garage model bottom up, we had to come up with something new. So um that's that basically at least the way it looks right now it's it's like it's something we call the outcomes tool it's basically in a mural but it does tie together uh you know all the big sort of fluffy vision stuff with the business case and business stuff all the way down to basically individual user stories and what we do in multiple teams but it's um you know as i'm saying that this in my mind is one of the trickiest things that you that you do because you need to like align the teams around this but also get the stakeholders on board and everyone's understanding in the same place and then you know across parts of the organization and silos and divisions etc etc so it's just not easy and it's not there's no like silver bullet in my mind so yeah and that's just like project setup you're getting ready to do the work Mm. yeah exactly it's not it's not a you know delivering value not even doing in itself idea. exactly not at all yeah. it's just like um yeah trying to get stuff in place to actually do the do the hard work yeah <laughs> so yeah so it sounds like there's a huge kind of uh, ramp up into a build project using um, these models yeah well i wouldn't say it's a huge ramp up like the whole the whole thing uh, that we try to do is like with the and also what the like garage model is built on again with you know lean and everything in mm-hmm. mind is that we get going quickly and we start you know prototyping and delivering quickly etc cetera, etc cetera. so i would say that these conversations they happen a little bit later you know once you're up and running and you know you've done maybe a few mvps of something and and you know gotten to know one another and actually gotten started with work then 
you know, somewhere along the line, then I think um, this sort of um, these questions start sneaking in. Yeah, you know, it's typically starts with designers because <laughs> they go like, "Are we sure that this is the right? Like, is this really what we should be doing?" And uh, I think if there's any question I've heard the most from designers is basically that thing is like, "Oh, you know, we're doing this, but we should be probably doing something else." So. Um, uh, so yeah, like the whole idea is that we we can get started with the client quickly and gets you know uh, get started doing stuff. That's a huge part of, of um, like our identity, what we want to be and, and what we are. I would say, um, but then once you've done that and you're up and running, uh, those important questions start to pop up again. It's like oh, you know, sure that we the initial project or the initial app that we wanted to get done does it really solve the actual right problems and, and then we're back at the outcomes tool and things like that right so it sounds like you're you start at kind of a point of you kind of have an idea of the tangible outcome should be yeah and prototypes are a real good way of demonstrating things that you've done to to stakeholders or to clients yes um, do you ever come in like earlier and do the research and, and then ramp up into into doing those prototypes yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely. And <clears throat> I would say we we do like, I, I, I tend to think about that as like diff- having different starting points, right? Because at some points you come in and you actually partner, partner up <clears throat> with a client, you know, research has been done. There's a research team that you collaborate with, and there's also like two designers and two tech leads. But then, all the rest of the people is like us, you know. So you start like in the way in the middle of something. Yeah. Uh, and and sometimes we're like there, and and other times it's just like really starting from scratch, and obviously, and that would kick off in a very different way, um, with you know research and tapping into, you know. IBM's big blue sort of global, um, how, do you, how should, should I put it, like um, um, capabilities when it comes to doing those things. So, um, yeah, it can be very different, uh, for sure. You, you mentioned prototypes. You mentioned prototypes. I mentioned First, prototypes. Yeah, you okay. said prototypes. Sorry. Like you, you said you get try to get to uh, MVP and, and yeah. prototypes quickly. Yes. And that, that's what kind of made me, let, okay. led me to think. Are you trying to, with some clients, prove your worth as quickly as possible? Because you might lose that client because, you know, design is hard to understand if it's just, you know, you're doing research and then there's a lot of time to synthesize and you get to insights and yeah. and they still don't understand what's going on mm. until you go, here's the thing, mm-hmm. or here's some things that yeah. you can now understand. It's, it's more visual, it's more easy to, un- to get a, gra- a grip on. Yes, yeah, for sure. This is one of my favorite uh, sort of topics because there's such a difference in saying here's the thing um, um, as opposed to saying here's a thing. Yeah. Um, but either way, just as you're saying, I mean, it's such a such a such an immensely powerful tool to to just make something, you know, as part of a you know, part of the communication, you know, regardless of how early in the process. It is, so yeah. I mean, prototyping to me is just, it's just like the the lifeblood of of uh, B 
being a designer. Uh, it's just so massively powerful. Um, so, I mean, again, going back to IBM, having been more like a tech company focused on like the actual built thing and the delivery, uh, one of the things um, I'm looking at now is, is to basically just prototype more, like do, making more design prototypes and making more stuff to be able to diverge more and earlier and just explore more things. Um, while, you know, you can, you can build stuff as well quickly to test things out, but it still takes more time than, you know, hammering together a designed sort of prototype in Figma or whatever. So, um, so yeah, we do that a lot, I would say. And um, I, I like, I just like prototyping. <laughs> I enjoy doing it as, as well. Does it ever happen that you present this prototype and then they look at it and it looks, you know, very shiny and, and, and ready and like, yes, okay, great. When can we have this? Yes. That, that clients might not understand the difference between a front-end like prototype, not connected, no logics, nothing, just, you know, visual everything yep. clicking through yes. compared to the real thing? Uh, for sure. Uh, pretty much all the time. Um, but I think, um, and maybe this is a little bit like, you know, swearing in church or whatever, but I, I like early hi-fi prototypes. Uh, and I would rather have, you know, stakeholders and a team that's on board and excited about something. They're excited about a future um, and having seen something, maybe not the thing, but having uh, having seen something, then um, uh, then waiting too long, basically, and and uh, trying to get people on board on you know only on insights or only on like data insights and concepts or whatever. Mm. So I tend to prefer taking that problem than having maybe you know. Uh, other problems with lack of um, lack of alignment, lack of uh, you know excitement, and lack of drive, or uh, lack of vision, or um, you know uh, a, a too shattered vision, or whatever. But it's an it's an uh, it's maybe a contested area. This uh, in a sense, I mean, some uh, I, I think at least for before, like going a few years back, um, people were very hesitant to prototype too much too early at least hi-fi prototyping then i guess as part also as, you know all the tools became so much quicker and better at prototyping you know you have more hi-fi things earlier automatically in a sense. especially in digital yes in digital for sure. it's just there you know yeah it's as fast paper prototyping as it is yeah digital with a good design system yeah you have the, the app exactly yeah. and it's um yeah and it's a, it's a, yeah, for sure, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it could, be, it could mean, it could mean um, cutting some, uh, you know, corners when it comes to making uh, uh, informed uh, judgment calls, etc. But uh, I think then it falls on us um, to make sure that we present it for what it is, and maybe you know, be responsible in how we how we use it. Basically, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you guys use like prototyping? I'm on your team. Yeah, yeah. I team uh, hi-fi early. Hi-fi early. Yeah. yeah. Setting a, a dot on the horizon. Yeah. Like a vision. This is what we want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? 
my mantra is very much people support whatever they are part of. So I think it's it's a, a bit old fashioned, maybe from advertising or like traditional agencies that would take the assignment, then disappear for three months, <laughs> six months, come back, big bang presentation, mm. take it or leave it. Uh, and yeah, sometimes they will be take it and sometimes they will be leave it. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think if you can show something rather quickly, mm. like this vision, you can disclaim it all you want. You know, this is just visual, you know, not finished. We'll also open up for your feedback and everything. Mm. And people can become part of that. And they can say like, yeah, I like this part. I don't like this part. How about this <coughs> idea? How about that idea? <coughs> I think it's uh, yeah an amazing way of <coughs> giving more people in the room a voice mm. because if we only talk about you know, the the research or the code or other like very like expertise kind of subjects, mm. uh, clients different roles might feel like oh I'm not going to say anything about that I don't know anything about you know hardcore design mm. research service design coding, mm. um, but if you can show them a design mm. a visual kind of artifact. Mm. then people are like yeah I, I i have opinions about that i feel i can i can voice and yeah share so yeah how about you russell yeah we do a lot of prototyping um but it's a lot of hardware mm. so i think one of the the struggles with a hardware company is you know it's like two years away to to launch a product right you know it's it's really a, a lot of time and there's a lot of build-up along the way a lot of opinions a lot of stakeholders with different ideas and you you can get to a point uh, kind of a year in when you have your first mm. the first build you know and it's come from some factory somewhere and it's like that's as close as we've ever been to the, pro the, the mm. product mm. and there's a lot of money goes into that <coughs> huge amount of investment and the last thing you want at that point is to say this doesn't quite work for the for the customer yeah. you know, like technology wise it's great Business-wise, as a great business case, but experience, that's not going to work. Mm. Well, we've seen all these problems, which means new tooling, and it, it costs even more money to, sure. to make a new thing. Um, so one of the, the lessons from that is we need to prototype hardware sooner. Yeah. It's not just the hardware, it's what's the experience attached to that. Mm. So how can you uh, emulate uh, what a new camera would be like in someone's house? with uh, like a PIR sensor. So it's mm. detecting motion. And what would that feel like for the people in the home? Or what? how could a burglar try to to break in and get through that type of uh, type of security? Or it might be uh, interaction devices where we're, we want to see how the pin code works or you know, whatever that is. Right. Uh, but the sooner you can emulate the experience, the cheaper it gets <laughs> further down the line. Um, mm. And we can't do that in production. That, that's the hard part. Yeah. No IT team wants to integrate something which is not, um, yeah, it's not final. Right. They don't know. They don't want to iterate. They want the thing, and we we want to iterate before that. So we're doing a lot of Wizard of Oz testing. So we, we kind of have the product on the wall, and then mm. some people doing the magic in a in a room behind, pressing buttons, and yeah. you know, maybe we're using uh, like a live FaceTime call. So we're activating cameras and microphones and speakers so we can build the experience and it feels like the experience but it's not real mm. right. that's as close that. as you can get as soon as you know right at the, the start of product development mm. so yeah. I definitely agree with you on the the prototyping front that's yeah. uh, it's something we've been trying to focus on a lot more recently yeah and, and I mean um, 
I mean, to, to your story there, I mean, that is what prototyping is, like getting it, fake it, but make it look as real as possible. And, and uh, I think there is very much a point in making it look and feel as real as possible. And it won't look real if you're like, just you know looking at wireframes or whatever uh you know or if it's too lo-fi yeah, or powerpoint or powerpoint yeah. or yeah so yeah. um yeah um uh, yeah mm-hmm. but it's really important we need to get to that that stage quickly and it, it's putting the customer in the middle yeah you know stakeholders and clients whatever that's that's one thing mm. put the customer in the middle record their face mm. with the experience mm. that that's the vision yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I think we all can all agree that <laughs> two <laughs> years is way too long to figure out that you're wrong. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it seems like a long time. Even six months is mm. yeah. Yeah. But it happens a lot and all over the place. I think. Mm. Yeah. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit into a different topic. Mm? Uh, you talked a bit a little bit about recruiting. Yeah. Uh, do you mind talking a bit more about that? Sure. Um, I'm very curious that when you're looking for a designer, what are you looking for? Is there any kind of particular thing that kind of shows you like this is going to be a great catch? Uh, and similarly, are there any red flags where you think like, okay, definitely no? Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I, mm, yeah, I've, I've sort of, um, so throughout the last, uh, let's say, what is it? Six, seven years. I've I've been like building design teams, but they're fairly small. So even even at IBM now, where we have like loads and tons of designers globally, the local team is quite small. Uh, and then we have the extended sort of Northern Europe team, um, which then is a bigger team, but it's uh, that that's actually down in your uh, home area uh, around uh, the Netherlands and Belgium, etc. So it's quite a small team, and then I tend to fall back on the old, you know, that basically we want to have unicorns. We want to have individuals that can do everything, uh, which isn't, um, it, you know, it isn't always realistic. But, you know, with the type of business we're doing and then the type of sort of thing that we're doing as a, a consulting partnering team and the size that we're at right now at least it's tricky to have two specialized uh, roles you know uh, within sort of the designer function so um, as team as teams grow there is more room to then have more specialized roles and then you know you can go into you know the individual areas and 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 talk about what uh, what you're after there but, but um, mostly when I've been recruiting, I've been looking for very broad, dare I say it, like T-shaped, you know, uh, people, uh, designers. Um, so, <clears throat> but if, if there's something that sort of sticks out there, I would say what I'm looking for is... Okay, so one thing that I've always um, appreciated with designers is um, communication skills because it's so it comes down so much to how you work and how you you know co-work and co-create and actually co-function with other people 
but also design in a sense is communication. So being sort of agile and flexible and uh, aware of how you communicate is, um, is something that I, I, um, I tend to look for. Um, and red flags. Maybe that's probably then, I mean, if we go back to what I said about like, to me, design is intent and effect. I think in order to have that approach to making something, you also have to be open to changing what you're making while you're making it. So I think um, too much of the sort of genius type, uh, you know, strong-headed uh, designers with a vision is initially probably somewhat of a warning flag for me because I want to I want to try to understand a little bit better what that's coming from like so if they're basically you know if 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 people can't like have <clears throat> have um uh, a discussion around design decisions uh, in a good way and and you know explain and sort of take on other people's perspective when we talk about something a solution a, a design that's somewhat of a red flag yeah uh, so when you're hiring yeah do you what do you advertise for? Is it a, a role or are you just saying like a, a role as in within a discipline? Or are you looking for just a like more broad generic designer? You mean right now? <laughs> uh, do you mean right now or in general? <laughs> no, no warning, Dennis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought the table would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> the table would chill the sound. Mm. I think it um, amplified the sound. Yeah. Uh, so, do you mean right now or in general? Uh, in general, because you, you said you're looking for uh, unicorns and T-shaped designers, yeah. uh, and like that—that that for me, that's a really tough. Um, it is thing to look for, uh, and you you could spend your life looking for a unicorn. Yes, um, which may not work, but it yeah. may work, and that's going to benefit you. Yeah, but so, I mean, like in well, our team, we're we're hiring for discipline, so I, yeah. I'll look for a service designer. Or industrial designer and mm. they may be t-shaped as well yeah but do you start from that point of okay it's a specialist yeah with t-shaped skills or is it all everyone in your team is a kind of generic unicorn somehow um i would say most of them are more like because uh, i was about to say we have some on our team um i mean most of the people in the team they're they are broad they're more like the crossover designer whatever you want to call them um but since we're mainly delivering, you know, digital products, I would say, at IBM, you know, it's basically UXers that we're, uh, we, we say we want UX designers okay. of different sort of seniority, etc. And then depending on, uh, as well, at IBM, what we're, um, you know, what types of client, what type of projects we're doing, Um it could be like if you're a UXer with a retail, you know, retail experience. Okay. Then it's, uh, yeah, it's of interest. So it's like industry background plus. Yeah, industry yeah. for sure, yes. And we're hiring right now. Maybe that's a good thing to say here as well. Mm. So are we. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is hiring. <laughs> we can all have a shameless plug. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, while we, like if you look at the, um, the broader strokes of what we do, the type of clients that we have, and the kind of work that we do, 
um, we could like spin up a service design, you know, little team, no problem. Mm -hmm. But but the core is at least for my I've only been with IBM now for a year and a half, um, and the core is still centered centered around, you know, digital capabilities of some sort, and that's sort of where we, um, yeah, where we work in a sense and come from. Hmm. I want to define the, the unicorn a little bit further because mm-hmm. I think if we look at it on a scale from w- a person being able to do one thing to a person being able to do all the things, which in my mind is the the mythical unicorn. Unicorn, yes. Probably difficult to get a lot of, yeah. if, if at all any. But in the middle, we have some people that can do a bunch of skills, maybe two or three, or maybe many of them, but not all as well. Mm. So uh, what is? Uh, do you agree with the definition of unicorn and... What yeah. is it that you're after? Yeah, unicorn is probably uh, worn out and, and a little bit sort of silly way of, of, of putting it. But I think, um, um, you know, there's something around like the, the core, I would say, UX skills and expectations of a UXer um, that comes down to, you know, problem solving, as I said before, communication. And you know, applying methods and working with people to get there, but obviously, a, a, a huge part of when you do actual projects, it's it's sort of the the research and insights phase, and not everyone enjoys you know that part of the work, and you are sort of differently. Uh, I think what you enjoy doing, you become good at. You know what I mean? So. Uh, getting a, an individual in and sort of forcing them to do uh, research or do qualitative interviews and and synthesis etc. When they don't enjoy it at all, it's not a good idea. Um, so that's where I think the, the um, yeah our the the need comes from you know to have someone that could do a little bit of everything and. Since we're only recording audio, I'm doing like quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> a little bunny bit, ears. Uh, yeah, bunny ears. A little bit of, 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 every, of everything. Or at least can, you know, stand doing it and, and you know, have a rough idea and some experience maybe um, of doing research, you know. and um, Yeah, but it's tricky. I mean, there's such a difference in my mind, you know, if you look at some some someone that is sort of more of a operational producing designer, you know, in sprints in a team with you know somewhat well scoped area of a product, you know, iterating, doing things with a well defined design system, you know, to work with, and everything is up and running and in place, as opposed to being thrown in as a UX designer and you know a newly put together team that doesn't have a clue what they're you know, you know, where do we begin? You know, that type of conversation. It's 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 a very different thing, uh, in my mind. Mm. And yeah, but it's uh it's not something I, I don't like. I, I would much rather recruit for the individual, or not individual, but for more specific roles. Mm. But yeah, right now and lately, um, sort of the need uh, has been different. So, how do you identify a unicorn? Yeah, it's it's, it's tough to to find yeah. designers when you you meet somebody for maybe two hours. I know, 
and then you you hire them and yeah are they the unicorn you you thought they were yeah uh, i wish i didn't say they were <laughs> unicorn um <laughs> but uh, yeah that is obviously tricky uh and i think um you know part of it is in a sense that you know the the role of a ux designer within tech or whatever it, it is like inherently broad and it i would say challenging it's a it's a broad challenging obviously a lot of fun uh, as well role um but because it's so broad and it comes down so much to you know communication and and being able to be um, analytical and and you know all these things um it is really really tricky to recruit you know meet someone for a short period of time and then go like yes or go like no it's uh, really really hard so i i i'm actually using i'm still using the same um uh, silly little assignment for recruitment uh, that i did probably 8 years back or 10 years back i was going to ask next yeah. if you have a yeah. a task that you yes yeah we do and it was um it's something that i sort of i can't remember if i was part of creating it but probably some other people as well so maybe i stole it i don't know <laughs> but uh, i brought it with me from my time at click and it actually oh yeah this is this is where it came from it originated from i mean click was also a very techy uh company they recruited a loads loads of um, developers so they created an assignment around building a sudoku game uh because the logic you know you need to like nail down the logic around how sudoku game works and they had a limited um time period so um yeah they um uh, you know had that as an assignment so we were thinking at the same time and i realized now maybe i should spoil <laughs> spoil the actual assignment uh, to anyone maybe want to we apply. can bleep it out yeah but um <laughs> we took some elements from that and that was clearly like a developer task uh we took some elements from that and made made it to sort of a more generic um almost like a problem statement taking everything from like users and user needs to sort of viability sort of the business side of it and you know methodology sort of aspects into it as well but we kept it fairly open so i was part of recruiting with that task uh, at click and then i sort of brought it with me so i've used it for a number of years now um and it's deliberately very open so the first thing you get a grasp on is what uh people think is important when it comes to problem solving and you know sort of an approach to thinking about something new that hasn't been there before and then you can sort of go deep down into actually looking at how they work with it etc etc so that's one of the things we do use yes but it's uh, it's really tricky is that an do at home assignment or is it something that do in the office with you no it's a do at home thing yeah and you give them a recommended amount of time they spend or it's up to them yeah exactly recommended amount of time for sure and just you know i i i i think it's uh, almost rude to ask for time you know uh, so we keep it i think it's like four four hours or four or five hours how many people do you think spend four or five hours and not double triple that you you um you can see that quite quickly actually mm-hmm. 
if they have, and then you can have a discussion about that as well. Yeah, but it's um, yeah, it's a tricky, tricky, tricky area. I mean, ideally, you should like meet people for a week, you just hang out and just talk about not only work but all kinds of different things to actually get to know someone, and then go like, man, should we work together? Yeah, but that's not how it works. So, and do you um, do you hire people straight out of school? As well? Yes. Okay. Maybe they would be open to work for a week with you mm. to get the hang of it. I can imagine, I understand, you know, spending a week together, actually working on a project with a team. Yeah. Fantastic. But if you're already in a job, it could be tough to just take a week off. Yeah, for sure. For the old chance you get a job. Yeah. But maybe if you're out of a job, straight out of school, perhaps, it would be a good experience nonetheless, whether you get the job at the end of the week or not. Yeah. And get like a little payment for that. Yeah, for sure. That's actually um, not a bad idea. <laughs> you could do something like that for, for like um, new grads. Because I think new grads are particularly hard to hire because um, they are extremely eager also to yeah. get a job because yeah. it's between a zero salary and a salary. Yeah. So it's sometimes hard in, in like you said, those one or two hours that you meet mm. to figure out are they sincerely interested in this company in this role yeah or are they sincerely interested in this uh, salary that we have yeah. to offer and having a job one or two hours it can be difficult to to see but if it's someone is coming from a job mm. at least you know they're giving that up Something in order else. to yeah, take this new position yeah yeah for sure um but yeah i mean yeah it, it is very very tricky and I, I in general to recruit i would say um but it's uh inevitable right like you have to try and do it somehow i don't know if you have any other tips i'd be happy to i actually don't have a good tip but um for me it's more of a feeling yeah you know i can within a few minutes say five minutes mm. i have a good feeling if that individual is really passionate mm. about design mm. and that comes first yeah and if you don't feel the passion then you know why are we here yeah if you don't want to do good design and do great things, no. you know, that, that's not going to fit in the culture of our team. Mm. We're all passionate individuals and we should, we should feel like we want to change things and make people's lives better. Mm. So I get that feeling, but uh, that's not a good tip because, you know, that's my feeling. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. can't um, embody that maybe. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, ob yeah, obviously uh, in the end, I think many people that recruit you know like me it come it does come down to like a, f a lot of feelings and you know you, you get sort of um a lot of things intuitive intuitively yeah. that you don't get from you know the portfolios and the actual you know questions um it's a as connection well. yeah connection right. yeah sure yeah so the the process that we had and I'm, I'm not saying this was perfect because i think every process has its flaws mm. But building on what you say, that's that you you get a lot from someone on their CV and their portfolio. You can see their best work. Mm. So I'm not interested in giving them an assignment to for them to show off their skills in visual design or interaction design or service design, because they can already see those things in the work they have actually done mm. for companies or or in a portfolio otherwise. So what we do is that we have a, a first kind of initial, very casual meet and greet, just to kind of see if if this makes sense. If we both have the same understanding of the job. Mm the case then the next time they come by we would have asked them to uh, do an exercise but together with one of our designers in the team 
Mm. So they would sit around the table, uh, look at the exercise for the first time, and they would take an hour, hour and a half mm. to do the exercise there. And the the job is very open. Mm. Uh, it's much more work than you can do in 60 or 90 minutes. So mm. nobody expects it to be perfect. Yeah. But what I'm rather looking at is how did they communicate? How did they work together mm. with this also other person? Mm. Uh, are they really into themselves? Do they just go straight into drawing something? Do they ask more, me more questions for qualifi like qualifying, right. understanding what are we designing for? What are the limitations and restrictions? Mm. I think that tells a lot about how somebody designs, mm. like how do they think, how do they approach a problem? How do they collaborate with someone else? Right. I think si since those things are, are important for me, communication, collaboration, sure. and those things you don't really see in a portfolio or in a CV, it's something that Frost gave a lot and it gave also a way of comparing different candidates. Mm. Then of course you get sometimes the feedback that it can be, yeah, it can be of course quite daunting to yeah. do this design task on the spot with somebody observing you. Mm -hmm. uh, also maybe it works better for extroverts than for introverts. Mm. Although, yeah, I think even introverts can be, you know, communicating and sharing and presenting something, uh, mm. even if that's not something they would do every day, all day long. Yeah. So yeah. I think for us that, that helped. It was like one way of of getting to see something that I wouldn't be able to see from just a conversation or from the portfolio work. Right. Yeah, that's good. So we're at one hour. Yeah. Like to say, Dennis. Yeah. Time, Time for closing question. Closing question. Yeah. Yeah. So the Malmo Design Network is all about Malmo mm -hmm. and design and the network. But uh, the Malmo part is important to us, so we we really love it here, and uh, we kind of want to put Malmo on the map mm. when it comes to design and be recognized as a design <coughs> capital amongst uh, Stockholm and Copenhagen. Um, and so the the closing question for you is: uh, Why did you choose Malmo? Why do you still live and work around here, where kind of the world is your oyster? <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I I really like Malmo. That's <laughs> like the short, easy answer. Um, and I think um, there's. It's actually. I, I studied uh, in Linköping, so a bit up um, in the country. Uh, I enjoyed my studies there a lot. Um, but when I was done, I was just like really wanting to go back to Skåne and. Uh, We've been, you know, abroad a little bit with family for periods, etc. But I, it feels like home for me, and and especially when it comes to work, I like that we're sort of this underdog a little bit. And um, if you look at like the, if you look at the surroundings and where Malmo is on the map and everything, it's like, and and loads of other factors as well. It's like so much better than Stockholm, for instance. I mean, it's. It's closer to a bigger and better airport, for one thing. You know, we have Copenhagen there, so Malmö is small, but we have Copenhagen really close, closer down to the continent. And, and uh, you know, it's just in Malmö, you can live in many places even further outside of Malmö and still come in in a short period of time. And when you're in Malmö, you can bike everywhere in like 15 minutes. And, you know, and then I just love, you know, everything that's been happening in Malmö for the last, let's say, 20 years with you know the culture and restaurants and everything that's been going on so yeah for me i'm a big, huge big advocate for malman i think it 
uh, uh, yeah, it should have its place, you know, uh, on the design scene and every other scene as well. Um, you know, the food scene. I mean, it's. I'd rather go eat here in in Malmo than many other cities uh, uh, that I won't mention. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that and that's you know. And of course, for us and for me, it's like close to family and stuff like that. I'm, I was born in Skåne, although on the other side of Skåne. Um, so yeah, it's that thing as well. Mm-hmm. Right, Jonas, thank you so much for joining us. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you for listening. Follow the show to be notified about future episodes. And if you enjoyed this, please share it with anyone else you think will be interested.